welcome back to Getting to the Top, where I interview transformational leaders about their leadership journey. And today I have the absolute delight of introducing you to Helen Gradstein. She's the UN CDF Regional Representative and Digital Finance Lead for the Eastern Caribbean. She covers the Eastern Caribbean for UNCDF, based in Port of Spain, Trinidad and Tobago. She's an expert in digital finance and financial inclusion, and is passionate about ensuring that financial inclusion policies and programs protect customers, empower women, support financial capability. She previously worked as a fan financial senior specialist in the World Bank's financial inclusion and payments team. She holds a master's in global policy from the University of Texas at Austin and a bachelor of science in mathematics from the University of California, Santa Barbara. Welcome, Helen. Thank you so much. Thank you. So I was really delighted because I think this this issue of, of financial inclusion is so important for women. And on this program where we are trying to help young, diverse candidates navigate their leadership career, I'm certain that not only you as a as a young professional who's who's attained quite a, a senior position in this work that you're doing, as well as the women that you see in your work, you'd have a lot to share with us about this journey that you've been on. But we really just want to talk about your career and how did it start and what did you think you were going to be, what did you think you were going to do? Yes. So to start, I've been working since I was about 16. Wow. Um, yes. So a million years ago. <laughs> but my journey actually began quite differently than where I am today. So I had dreams of becoming a pilot was where I started, which was already quite a male dominated field. Mm. Um, so I was going to fight my way through it. Uh, I was really inspired when I was younger. I was, uh, maybe I still am a tiny bit of a nerd. I was really inspired by this anime called Cowboy Bebop. I wanted to be a space bounty hunter. And so the tangible version of that is becoming a pilot. So I actually worked for years and years while I was also in school um, at different flight schools, obtaining hours and eventually a lot of my licenses in my early 20s. But um, one roadblock that I hit was that, uh, and I'm only able to articulate it now that I'm a bit older and maybe more secure with myself, is that I'm afraid to fly. I'm totally afraid to fly. Yes, I didn't quite understand it because I really loved the technical aspects of it. I loved the mechanical parts plane. I really liked, you know, instrument flying where you're using all of these instruments. Um, but it always stressed me out. I was really paranoid all the time. And it's because I'm afraid to fly. However, um, it really helped me. And it wasn't a setback in any way. It helped me to get into other incredible opportunities. I did get a job um, in Ghana, where I lived for many years. And I collaborated with a flight relief school in rural Ghana, also teaching young women to fly and then also working to do some type of flight relief aid for those villages that were up in the river. And while I was there, um, in addition to this flight school, I worked really closely with the University of Ghana and Lagon and many of the professors there to start and co-found a nonprofit called Exponential Education, which um, was a model that grew in Ghana and is still around today, adopted by the university and those professors that I originally had worked with. 
Um, but while I was in Ghana, I also, because I was a mathematics major, I, again, you know, I'm always trying to understand how to apply some of these skills, especially to um, make a meaningful change. And so I used my mathematics degree to transition to working for an agency called Innovations for Poverty Action uh, in Ghana as a data scientist. And what we did was we did controlled experiments and randomized control trials to understand pathways out of poverty. And my particular uh, project was emphasizing savings, mobilization, understanding interventions for income generation and digital transformation. And so it equipped me with these unique data science skills, along with my degree um, from the University of Texas, where I focused on development economics uh, to become initially a data analyst uh, at the World Bank on their financial inclusion team. And I think, you know, one, I'm very um, happy looking back that I did jump on opportunities, even if they were slightly deviations from my original plan, because it helped me to flourish in all of these other ways. You know, you don't know what you don't know. And so being willing to kind of take that journey shows you new and exciting areas. So while I was at the World Bank, um, I did develop a series of different global knowledge on digital finance and fintech, um, both leveraging off the data work that I had done, uh, using and working with governments to leverage geospatial technology and data for financial inclusion, um, helping governments around the world develop and implement digital finance and digital financial inclusion strategies, which I am excited that the UNCDF is also supporting different governments around the region doing something similar. Um, you know, also diving into how government should enable while regulate and mitigating the risks of fintech um, as they permeate across the sector, etc. But all of that work uh, and through and during the pandemic, there was this unique opportunity to lead and head up a new United Nations agency on innovative, innovative finance for the Caribbean, um, which I excitedly took, uh, moved my family here to Trinidad and Tobago, where we're based, but we cover the region, working on a range of different policy activities in the digital finance space, as well as private sector activities. I lead a team of five now today, and um, have really felt that some of the work that we've done has made some impactful change. And I'm excited about the future of the Caribbean, which we'll get into later, but that's a little bit around the trajectory that I've had so far. So that was an exciting journey. So how old were you with this cowboy bebop? Cause I'm just like, how do you go from <laughs> seeing an anime to wanting to be a pilot while being afraid to fly? And then you, you still, through all of that, help with this flight school in Ghana while still being afraid to fly, fly and then transitioning to a completely different industry. So tell me about how old were you around when you decided to become the pilot and this cowboy bebop that I've never heard of was going on? Yes, and I hope different policy officials and ministers are not going to judge me for my age but I was probably around 12 you know 13 mm -hmm. when I was so inspired by 16 I was working in general and by 18 I was already working in flight schools 
by around 20 or 21, while I was doing my mathematics degree at Santa Barbara. Santa Barbara is a town a few hours north of Los Angeles, and the actual school's in Goleta, which is a, a farm town. It's very rural. Um, you know, it has like apple farms and lemon festivals. It's that kind of scene. So the nice. airport is kind of a big landmark there um, at the time, at least. And so by the time I was around 21 and 22, of course, with the help of scholarships, um, you know, of different mentors, female pilots as well, um, I was able to get some of my licenses. And while I was 22, just in the last year of college, I was able to uh, work or move with the University of Lagan to do some research there with the mathematics department. And that's when I also started to work in Ghana. So I had been working and doing flight relief type work uh, in Ghana when I was about 22. And then that kind of morphed into this larger education and nonprofit world with the University of Ghana. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I came back to get my master's, I was also simultaneously working. There was a few other air, you know, jobs in there. Uh, research institutions for Texas. But I think what maybe sped up some of the professional development was that I had been working since such a young age. Mm -hmm. And I'd always worked throughout school as well. And always trying to combine these experiences together, which now maybe in hindsight seem like a coherent, you know, Mm -hmm. not, you know, storyline. But at the time, it was just really trying to take opportunities as they come. Um, and when you're in your 20s, you have so much energy, I think. Mm. Um, so, I mean, I might have sacrificed a little bit of partying. I got it in later in life. But at the <laughs> time, I was really trying to um, maximize the time I had, especially while I was a student, um, to get all of these experiences under my belt. So I joined the World Bank when I was about 25 and was nice. there for about 10 years. Oh, fantastic. And so how did you enjoy the World Bank experience? It was a journey. Yeah, it was a journey. I think coming from the experiences where I was working much closer on the ground mm-hmm. um, with different agencies and with different uh, community leaders and officials. And it also was in parallel to a lot of my work, more volunteer work in Los Angeles, where I'm from. Mm-hmm. Um, it was certainly a shift to all of a sudden come to DC and be working alongside technical experts, you know, um, leading experts around the world, as well as policymakers and governments. It was a tough learning curve, <laughs> but I don't want anyone to be discouraged when learning curves are tough. I think everyone goes through them and it's important that everyone remembers that no one's alone when times are tough and when the learning curve is steep. But I think with a lot of persistence um, and maybe a few or maybe multiple midnight oil being burned Mm -hmm. in the middle of the night, you know, Mm -hmm. I was able to get some of my legs and also capitalize on the areas and strengths that I had. When you're entering into an industry, for instance, the financial sector, which has a long history of traditional um, activities and traditional infrastructures, um, you don't always recognize that 
a lot of things can be innovated on with the newest mm -hmm. technologies. And so coming in young, especially for those young women who are out there, being able to have a firm grasp of all of the newest technologies and innovations can be applied and helpful in a new sector. And it creates a shine to a lot of your work. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, there seems to be like a common thread of this need to give back. You were you were working in this flight school in Ghana. You were working on development finance in uh, the World Bank. You're now working on this initiative that that provides financial inclusion. What what are you you said you were volunteering while you were in in Los Angeles. What what motivated you? Where did that start from? Where was that seed sown? I think that I've you know had really supportive parents. And they've always, I mean, my mom is always quoting Gandhi, you know, and trying to say, be the change that you wish to see. Um, and I know that a lot of, you know, often people are saying that, but I do think that a lot with energy, of course, there's a lot of privilege that comes here. I did not have to struggle so much with shelter, food, basic needs mm -hmm. in Los Angeles. Um, you know, my family, for the most part, my parents had a college education. So there are some privileges already there that I do want to acknowledge. But I also think that with a lot of energy and wanting to see change, that there's a lot of room to help manifest that. Um, in Los Angeles, I certainly experienced both personally and then also with my friends, their families. And, you know, within the LAUSD public school system, you just see a lot of people in all different walks of life and you can, it reflects really on the challenges that other people are facing and also the challenges that you might be facing as well. And also the benefits, everyone has their own set of cards that they're dealt and it's about trying to understand how best to play with them. And some people have a better hand than others. So I think that a lot of it was driven on trying to make change originally all geared towards Los Angeles, uh, my hometown. Um, but it took me and my path took me in different routes and being open to those different twists and turns of your path, I think, was useful. But that, I guess, need um, was always central to my heart. I've just always wanted to try to push the needle in the right direction. Now, is all of the work that we're doing really pushing the needle in the right direction? And, you know, that's a whole different discussion. I have now academically and, and practically been working in the sector for almost over 15 years. Mm -hmm. But, um, and development and making change is a really challenging, it's a, yeah. it's not an easy, easy area because problems are hard. If yeah. there was easy fixes, it would be fixed. But yeah. I think that's where the initial drive came. I think it's a long game, you know, in development. It's not, you know, like you said, if it were, if it were easy to fix, somebody would have done it and and we wouldn't need the development agencies to be working on these, these, these global issues. But I, I just finished reading Walk Through Fire by Sheila Johnson. She was the co-founder of BET and she talked about that. And, you know, once she had sold BET and started her philanthropy she was hearing about these women who were surviving on on you know less than a dollar a day and she said you know with all of the challenges that she had gone through and in the book there are many 
She said, I never had to worry about, you know, being able to, to have a meal or, you know, being able to feed myself. And that just gave her such a sense of purpose to help create more financial inclusion. And that just, you know, inspired her to do so many different things because she's like, listen, everybody has problems. Everybody has challenges. And I was absolutely quite blown away by how honest and upfront she was about the challenges that she had faced in her life and, and how scarring some of them were. Yeah. But recognizing that, listen, despite all of the challenges that I faced, I was in a really good position and I'm in a position to help others and, and taking that perspective and giving your life that purpose, I think is so important and, and incredibly commendable as well. Yes. Um, I certainly resonate with some of that, but I'm also cognizant that, you know, I'm certainly no saint. <laughs> Nobody is. Yeah. There's also and I'm not sure if you want to edit this part out, but there's also a, a reality to it. There's a reality to the sector, which is that there are incomes and, you know, there's no, there's very few Mother Teresa's, yeah. but I think the goal is to try to align your professional career and a livelihood that does keep you and your family, you know, safe and surviving and maybe flourishing as well, if you're lucky and trying to align your passions with that type of livelihood. That's something that for me, I've been able to so luckily been able to find in some of the institutions I've worked, but it's certainly a challenge to always make that alignment. Um, but, you know, I do recognize that it's not, yeah, that we have to also be honest that, you know, there's also fairly stable careers and job opportunities that we've also taken as well that have just been so fortunate to align with a passion area yeah um, yeah I'm not sure exactly the point <laughs> I'm trying to make but no I, I I get what you're saying I think you know you're right because you know I I was in a meeting yesterday where I was talking to somebody about a project and I said you know I this has to be a part of my legacy this thing has to happen in the region and I'm so passionate about it and that is the thing that if I wasn't doing this job, I would do that thing for free, right? I I need, there's a need burning inside yes. me to see that happen. But I'm not doing this for free. My 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 work isn't free. And and I think that that is the sweet spot because as much as you are compensated for work, I say to my team and I say to a lot of young people, the time that you spend away from your family is sacred time. Make sure that you're using it to do something that is meaningful to you. And whatever that is, you know, and I agree, there are no saints, you know, there, well, there are some, I also just there's like read, a couple, yeah, there's a few. <laughs> yeah, I, I read <laughs> Will Smith's book, Will, and I, his, his description of his grandmother, that is a saint, like that woman was absolutely a saint. But I think it's, it's about trying to get that your purpose and your passion and the thing that lights you on fire as close as possible to the thing that you do every day. Because even yes. when you are doing a great job that you love and you care about and you feel good about, work is hard. That's 
it would be called fun if it weren't hard. So it's hard. And even in, in my job that I love and I can't, you know, I can't imagine doing something else. There are days where I'm like, listen, I'm ready to throw up my hands because this is too hard. It's too much. Or I'm really frustrated or I want to go through something. And, you know, so in those times, you need to then find that grounding where I understand why I'm doing this. Doing this makes sense to me. Because even for the money, it's still hard. And I think the biggest hope is, and hopefully what everyone's asking themselves is, is the work that you're doing putting the needle at least closer in the right direction? There's not going to be a magic fix. Yeah. That's the hard part. If there was a, a magic fix, again, those fixes would be done, um, especially working at the UN in development in the financial sector, it's such a complicated, intricate, nuanced sector. There's smart people everywhere. I mean, some of the lessons I've learned is that, um, or something that I radically agree with and try to have shape my worldview is that everybody is smart. Every single person. Everyone is smart and everyone, no matter how much you disagree, is coming from a place that's rational to them as well. Yes. And everybody's yes. a good guy. And so... So it makes everything quite interesting. And all you can do is hope that you're really pushing and trying to align your intention with pushing things in the right direction, that needle just a little bit in the better green versus the red. Um, and that's, I think, what everyone should aspire to do every day. And that's certainly where I've tried to dedicate my life. What's the most I can do that pushes that needle in the green um, while also considering these other elements? And um, so that's how I've tried to position and move forward as best as I can, because I do desperately want to see some of the problems that I've seen throughout my life, both in my own experience and the experiences of the others around me produce some of that, um, some of those challenges, yeah, should reduce. And I think we're at a place in the world, especially with the digital transformation, where we really can realize that. And I want to try to be a part of that change. You know, I love that point about about moving the needle because I think, especially in the development space, there are times when, and when you when you think about co your career, right, and the the impact that you have, and the your ability to rise or your ability to to achieve your life's purpose, it is about the incremental things that you do every day. And I think that sometimes in the development space, we get so bogged down that sometimes you're not necessarily focused. What is the goal? What's the big goal? What is the thing that, yes. and what is the one thing I need to do today to move that forward versus just getting yes. lost in the busy the work. The bureaucracy and the yes. intensity and the convolution. Yes. That is, I mean, energy, the people, so people inspire me, everyone. Lots of people inspire me in all of these different ways. But those people who I really admire are those who keep the energy up. They don't get disillusioned. They don't, you know, get dragged down. They keep the energy up and they're, they persevere and they are persistent. You see the end goal. And although there might be all of these hoops and bureaucracies and operations and processes and things that feel so far away from the end goal, it's the institutional reality in which we live in for many of the institutions that are around us. And being able to jump, you know, when you need to and duck when you do and seeing that end goal and keeping your energy up. I think everyone kind of vibes with good vibes. You know, you can inspire with good 
good vibes as well. And I think there are things that people can be inspired by. The world, I believe, and I know this is a controversial point of view, I mm. think is getting better. I do. I think, mm. I know it's weird in this current environment with social media and certain types of technologies blasting all the bad news all the time. And don't get me wrong, there is bad news, but there's a lot of bad news. Um, as we were mentioning earlier, I'm from the US, so we'll see how mm -hmm. our elections go in a year. Um, things can be crazy. The world can be on fire. That is true. But I think there's a few different things that are going on. One, from a development perspective, poverty is going down. It is. More people have access to water, electricity, mobile phones, technology, education, income generating activities, and are much more connected to the world than ever have been before. That's huge. There's always wars and it's terrible, but it's still huge that we're making progress in those ways. Uh, the second way is I think humans are innovative. I have a positive outlook. I know that the climate is changing, that again, things are on fire, but I think we're innovative as people. We will feel the pressure and innovate. And um, again, I'm hoping that people get inspired and not disillusioned. I think it's easy, especially for young people and probably also especially for young girls to get disillusioned and probably uninspired or lose their their inspiration to lean in because mm -hmm. of everything that's going on but I really do think that people can make a big difference and I think overall people try to be good more than you know of course people are complicated People have good sides and bad sides and people are complicated. But overall, I think when you give the opportunity to make a, a good action or good decision, people do generally try to take it. So. I know that's not the advice that you're you're given, giving necessarily, but I think that that is such a fundamental point that one, people are essentially good. And I completely believe that, that Maybe. fundamentally- I hope. <laughs> Most people are are good and that even the people who we receive as being bad, they are they are behaving according to something that is rational to them. That that people don't say, you know what, I'm I'm going to get up and do something counterintuitive to what I think is the right thing to do. So whatever, wherever Most their people, compass is right. pointed, right? You know, and even when like I vehemently disagree with someone about something, it it's almost as though I can see your point, you know, and I see, I see how you got there. I don't agree, but I <laughs> see how this makes sense to you. And I think that that's such an important point, either in, in negotiating, in trying yes, to get people absolutely. to understand your own point of view, in trying to move a needle in one direction versus another. It's it's being able to, one, assume the positive because the energy that we put out there is so real. And I know that it sounds like hokey and, and Pollyanna, but the energy is, it's real. You have to focus on, you have to focus on the positivity. Otherwise, you will get dragged into despair. But the other thing is, Yes, you know, believe in the fundamental goodness that I, and I'm not saying to be a to be a chump or to allow people to mislead you, but if you believe in the fundamental goodness of people and 
you can use that to guide how you give people the benefit of the doubt, for example. I think that that opens up so many more doors. And then I want to ask you one thing about, um, have you heard of Hans Rosling or mindthegap.org? Yes. Yes. And that right. they have a lot of data and Hans has unfortunately passed away uh, yes, quite a while ago now. But they have a lot of data that not just reinforces your point, but proves your point that things are getting better. But we tend to focus so much, especially in the news on the negativity, that when you ask people, when you survey people, you know, is poverty going down? Is um, the number of people who are harmed in natural disasters going down? They'll say, no, more people are being harmed and more people are, are poor and more people are disadvantaged, which isn't true. The problem is that our expectations keep going up. And if all we hear is the bad news, we'll assume that things are in fact getting worse. Now, are things progressing as well as the solutions that we have or the things that we Correct. know we and need to do? Correct, and that's the winning that's... question. Exactly. Are things, you can't live with the status quo. Mm -hmm. You know, there's still challenges, struggle, poverty, and insecurity and lack of resilience food insecurity, all of these issues. And so we have to keep pushing as a global community and in general um, to try to make sure that everyone's livelihood is, you know, there's human rights and you people have the right to live yeah. with their basic yeah. amenities and the right to seek new opportunities in education. And people are innovative. I think just like you're mentioning, it's kind of a, a framing issue that I try to keep close to my work, especially as, you know, the day-to-day -day gets you down, which is that we can, I really think collectively we can solve problems by just harnessing our innovative spirit. There's creative people who are creative in all different types of way. It's not just, you know, there's of course artists and, and musicians and all these people who manifest their creativity in that way. They're giving us a gift of culture. But I think there's also like, yeah, the more corporate creativity where we're really trying to solve problems in new ways. And I think that when given the opportunity, people do want to try to solve things. I think we're human. We yeah. are always keeping our mind busy. We're always trying to solve. So I have a lot of hope in that. Um, I'm not sure. I know this <laughs> took the <laughs> conversation down a certain route, but but I do. And I think when because the initial question you told me was a complicated one. Actually, um, I wasn't exactly sure how to answer, like what inspired me to go into this field and mm -hmm. and to drive that change. And I think it's all of these experiences altogether. I really do have a lot of positive hope. Yeah. And I'm proud of, not always, it's been a lot of bad things. And there are people who are more bad than good. Let's, you know, I don't want to say everybody. Yeah. Even though I... You know, even that I can play the fence. I'm a UN diplomat. So, of course, I can always just find the areas of common ground and like, pick, you know, but um, but I think that there's a lot of inspiration and we as people are innovative and ready to solve challenges as they come. Yeah. So what are you most hopeful about? Honestly, I am keen to see all of the innovations that are going to help mitigate challenge uh, climate change. I'm really hopeful about that. I know, again, I don't have the evidence proof, but so in my work, we focus on, for instance, the Caribbean, four core areas. 
um, primarily around finance. So we, as the UN and the global community, believe that access to finance and digital financial tools, which help you get into the digital economy, enable some of the SDG goals. It's like plumbing. Let me give you an example. Um, you know, if there's, for instance, a hurricane and somebody's house, you know, someone who's been saving all of their cash and they've stuffed it under their mattress and the hurricane blows their house away, you know, what are, and they've just lost all of their, their savings. What are the ways that keeps them a little bit more resilient? Well, mm -hmm. um, most likely getting money from friends and family from Miami or wherever the diaspora is, if they're lucky to have friends and family somewhere else, or maybe just in the city, but you yeah. need this mobile money or some of these remittances to get there. Um, being able to have disaster risk insurance, for instance, to mitigate climate uh, shocks, um, being able to have government transfer, transfer relief instantly, often through mobile money rails. So there's all of these areas of digital finance that I think are important. But and the reason why I raise this with regards to climate is that climate is a big area and innovative financing for blue and green innovation is a big area we're starting to look at. And I'm quite hopeful and excited about personally. I think that there's real interesting innovations that are coming out as well as government commitments and um, institutional commitments that are not only trying to get to net zero goals, trying to understand how to use innovative financing models or marketplaces or debt swaps or all of these other types of tools to mm -hmm. conserve nature, to rewild nature, which I think has a lot of promise, mm -hmm. um, to try to essentially reverse a lot of these, these um, activities. And I also think that the private sector itself does take, or both public and private sector, when they get pushed into a corner, they start to take interesting routes. So for instance, I was just listening to a story in Arizona where they've had some massive growth, right? With their housing, everyone's trying to go live in Phoenix or all of these places, but there's no more mm -hmm. water, right? There's no more groundwater. So what are you going to do? So now they're looking into all of this innovation, not I think driven by the private sector, they want to develop, but um, mm -hmm. how to desalinate the ocean, how mm -hmm. to include you know, more sources of fresh water and how to innovate so that you can solve these problems. So whether it's from good intent or maybe just a necessity and need to continue development, you know, capitalist, I don't know. But I do think that people are quite innovative and I'm seeing a lot of really interesting innovations in the climate sector mm -hmm. that promote blue and green innovations. And so I'm quite keen on understanding the intersection between the financial sector and the blue economy. And I think there's a lot of, a lot of hope there. Excellent. Excellent. And what's the best advice you've gotten? Oh, in general? Yeah. Yeah. What's the best advice you've gotten? So I've received a lot of advice mm -hmm. over the years, but I think one area that I really wish I took a little bit more when I was younger as well, is that mistakes are inevitable. The best advice I've gotten is essentially not about avoiding any mistakes, but seeing them as opportunities to grow and also navigating around them. Um, I think that for a long time, I was trying to avoid making any mistakes ever. And every time I made a mistake, it's just like, oh, how could I have done that? It's so... I wish I had just done X, Y, and Z. I would agonize over it. But everybody's making mistakes, micro mistakes all the time, large mistakes that affect their career, 
and being okay with it, kind of rolling with the punches and just trying to navigate through it. Being able to be agile and navigate through it, I think is one of the the biggest, um, you know, the some of the biggest, sorry. Okay. <laughs> no worries. <laughs> the biggest opportunity for you to just sort of lean in because I think sometimes mistakes yes, exactly. that seem like mistakes aren't actually mistakes. They are they are redirecting you to the path that you should be on. And sometimes the mistakes, especially the painful ones, are the ones that have the lessons that you need to remember. So if you make that mistake and it it hurts you to your core, re- resist the urge, I think, to obsess about it. But understand yes. that your your desire to obsess about it is you internalizing that lesson and ensure that once you get the lesson, as long as you get the lesson, you can then move on and do better. If you're not making any mistakes, you're not trying hard enough, you're not challenging yourself, you're not, you're not changing anything. You're just like a, you know, you're just like a slug. Yeah, just lean it. into it. Exactly. Yeah. Lean into it. Your lean path is going to deviate. And yeah. Go for it. I think and some I other love- advice. I- oh, sorry. No, no, no. I loved your openness, especially in the beginning of your career and, and all of the things that you were willing to try. I think that was really important, you know, and, and you don't, you don't, you don't have a great career unless you're open and willing to like try different paths. Yes. I think the other piece of good advice that I've gotten recently, a few pieces of advice over the last few years as well is to be continue to be your authentic self Mm. um I think I tried for a long time you know often because yes I am a younger woman in the field of finance now leading a United Nations office for a region and that made me feel like I really needed to play a part of someone who I'm not Mm. or change my personality But in fact, just staying it, you know, you can't be someone you're not, it'll make you sick, you just have to be your authentic self, be honest with who you are, of course, be strategic, be smart, be careful, understand your scenario, your surroundings, understand, and collaborate well with others, people are everything, we work with people, we spend more time with our coworkers and our family, like, make sure to be smart in the way that you interact with everyone. But don't lose who you are. Don't be your unauthentic self as well. Um, I think that there's a refreshingness to, or it's refreshing when you meet someone and they're just themselves. They're just, you know, not trying to hide it. They're coming at you person to person, you know, and especially me, I think one of my leadership styles is really trying to be on the ground. I really work better. Uh, One thing, you know, um, in my previous positions is I was often based in DC and now I'm here in the Caribbean working hand in hand with, you know, a great set of policymakers of different private sector players and just being able to kind of really be with everybody while everyone is struggling and, or not struggling, but while everyone is on their own journey to try to achieve many yeah. of these initiatives that they're trying to achieve, which are also challenging. And so, to keep to who you are, to be true to yourself a little bit and just be a normal person. You yeah, know, just that's one to- less thing. Well, don't say to be a normal person because I'm absolutely a card carrying weirdo. And I it took me a while <laughs> to sort of like understand, you know what, this is who you are. You're a bit of a quirk. 
be that, you know, and, and don't be try your and, authentic like, self. Yeah. yeah. Don't try and smooth the edges. Let people know straight up early on. You're a bit intense. That's exactly right. And you're a little bit strange right. and that's okay. You know what? Your right. family what will love you regardless. Yeah. 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 That's a hundred percent. Right. A hundred percent. Yeah. I'm just be who you are and don't be afraid yeah. to show your personality a little bit. Yeah. It's not everyone's going to like it and that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. You're not going to be everybody's cup of tea, but is that what you want to be? No, you, you want to yeah, be. It's, yeah. it's too exhausting. Too yes, exhausting. It's yeah. one more job that you have to do that is not, that's unnecessary. No, I think also, I'm not sure how men feel about this, but I think women might also feel that more. You know, I think yeah. we have to prove ourselves harder. Yeah. We have to prove our credibility more. We have to make everyone, or at least we feel like we have to make everyone in the room happy. Mm -hmm. uh, or happier than maybe some others might do so but you're not going to I think just yeah you know, if you get like 60% of everybody happy that's great that's a big win you know yeah. um so being okay yeah to make mistakes not being perfect all of those types of be your authentic self don't try to change who you are um and and I think keep the energy up you know remember especially um, if you're working through your career, the opportunities that you do have and, and to keep your energy up and to, to take those as well. Yeah. And I think, I think no matter who you are, you will find your people. So sometimes we feel the need to sort of assimilate into a group or into a setting because we're trying to fit in, but if you're trying to fit in, then you're not necessarily being yourself. Either you will find your people or your people will find you, but they will not find you if you are not being you. So yes. be willing to, to, to just live authentically and lead 100%. authentically while you learn and grow, make your mistakes, learn from them, iterate, learn and grow and continue on your path. And for those who are now becoming more seasoned in their careers as well, one new lesson or a lesson that I'm still very much trying to take is to talk less and listen more mm. really hard for me really hard for me um especially if you have the answer in your head I yeah. think as coming from a technical expert background I was a technical expert before I joined the UN as well and so I think um one area or one element that I felt like I always had to do is if I had the answer in, in my head to give it to everyone immediately and that's yeah. uh, not the case at all. I think it's important to allow other people to also come to their own journey to get to the same place where you might sit an answer or to be open to hearing what a different answer is. There's not always one right answer. There's so many yeah. different answers to yeah. the same question often. So depending on the question. Um, so being able to also, of course, strategically from a professional standpoint and diplomatically, um, make sure especially when there's an area of uh, disagreement to still listen as well and be able to find those common grounds so that people can come to a same place or a similar place at least um, and that you're also listening to all the other side and again if you're maybe with younger uh, colleagues or you're you know trying to move the needle in a certain direction and you feel like you have the idea to still listen more, talk a little less and let other people come just because you have the right answer doesn't mean that you need to say it. 
it's not even the right thing to do. You know, that will be the wrong thing to do anyway. Such a so. phenomenal piece of idea of advice to to sort of to listen more than you you talk and to allow others to uh, come to either where you are or an even better place because they may have a different lived experience, which is why we need the diversity, right? Because you need people who have been in different spaces who can then feed back what from their perspective, the right answer might be. And that's how we get to the best possible solutions with a variety of perspectives, looking at one problem from a, from a number of different vantage points. I, I, I love that. Be your authentic self, create room to listen, be hopeful and optimistic, be willing to make mistakes, be open, willing to, you know, believe in other people within I think if I had one additional lesson learned later in my career as well um I think because and I'm not sure if it was also matched with ego or what um when I was younger where yes be the change you wish you can be I really thought and I still do for all of the same reasons that I've already mentioned that you can you know um you know, create or control change. You can control change and you cannot. I think that it's also a balance with all of these things that we're mentioning to also remember that the world is big. The world is big. There are so many people, so many people doing amazing things. A lot of people just living day to day. There are institutions, there are companies providing us electricity but it's not always so great there are companies and firms that are trying to innovate but there's you know they're not viable like there's there's governments there's achievements there's corruption there's the good there's the bad there is a full ecosystem around and we don't have control nobody really very few have control over the entire ecosystem and i think it's also helpful to also let go of some of that control as well mm. and I think allow other institutions other people other ideas to make their way and see what happens you know and mm -hmm. kind of let the the pieces and the cards fall on the table and then again kind of try to navigate your way through always with trying to push that needle to the right direction I don't believe there's anything that's purely good or purely evil. I think everything is just a, a mix and a mesh and life is messy. And it's all about navigating this complicated world that we live in, knowing it's really big. There was a system before us and there's going to be a system after us, but we can drive change, incremental, huge. And so being able to also recognize this broader um, you know, ecosystem that we live in, I think is also important and grounding to help also create balance in your life, both professionally and personally. Beautiful. I can't imagine ending this conversation on a better note. So with that, I thank you so much, Helen. I really appreciate this chat. I think it provided us all with some different perspectives, especially about openness and being willing to make mistakes and learning from those things and, and understanding that, you know, this is a, it's a huge math problem that we're in. So <laughs> attempting to be, to be perfect or to control everything is, is an easy way to get lost. So do what you can with the time that you have 
and try your best to be your best. Thank you so much for joining us on this journey. I hope this inspired you as much as it inspired me. And if you haven't already, please subscribe. And we're looking forward to seeing you on the next version, the next iteration of Getting to the Top, where we interview transformational leaders like Helen and share with you the things that they've learned uh, during their illustrious careers. Thank you and bye.